0: Welcome to the Locked On Titans podcast. I am your host, Tyler Roland. Titans fans, today is the next big day on the Titans offseason calendar. It is the deadline day for franchise tag players to get a long-term deal done with their team before they are forced to play on the one-year franchise tag deal. And of course, that is the case for Derek Henry. And on Tuesday, we got our first piece of information about whether or not a deal would get done from ESPN's Adam Schefter. So we are going to start off the show talking about that and what that could mean for the Titans and why the Titans have ended up at this decision reportedly. And then after that, we are going to jump into the third installment of our Ultimate Division Crossover Series. Today, we will have Evan Sidery from Locked On Colts in the hot seat joining me, Tony Wiggins from the Locked On Jaguars podcast, and John Hickman from Locked On Texans as we ask him some questions about the Colts and Evan gives us his answers to some questions leading into training camp and where this franchise may be going from here and how he feels about the Colts prospects in 2020. So excited to get into the next portion of that conversation with you guys. Of course, we will round out the Ultimate Division Crossover Series Training Camp Preview in tomorrow's episode where we focus on the Jaguars with Tony Wiggins. So really excited to give you guys that content. I know you enjoy the Ultimate Division Crossover Conversations. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Locked on Titans podcast so you get that and all of the content that I have ready to go for you guys leading up into training camp. But with that out of the way, ready to get into an all Awesome show with you guys. We have major news on Derrick Henry's deadline and the third portion of our Ultimate Division crossover series. Let's get it. Since the Tennessee Titans decided to franchise tag running back Derrick Henry earlier in the offseason, there hasn't been much drama surrounding the process. Or a lot of conversation in the media about the progress between both sides involved in that conversation. We knew that Derrick Henry came in and amicably signed his franchise tender, making sure that there would be no holdout imminent during the offseason training camp or preseason for Derrick Henry. And it seemed like he was taking a step in having a good negotiation in good faith between his side and the Titans. The Titans' representation talked throughout the offseason, including head coach Mike Vrabel and general manager John Robinson about how they wanted to get a deal done with Derrick Henry. They knew how valuable he was to not only their success on the field but the culture in the locker room and things seem to be heading towards a long-term deal but as the Titans get closer and closer to today's 4 p.m. deadline to get a deal done with Derrick Henry it does not appear that there will be a long-term deal in the future between both sides. We got the most recent report from ESPN's NFL insider Adam Schefter on Tuesday morning. Schefter had this to say in a tweet. Titans and Derrick Henry are not expected to reach a long-term deal by Wednesday deadline for franchise players. Per source, Henry is scheduled to make $10.27 million this season and become a free agent in offseason. Any franchise deals by Wednesday will be an exception, not the rule. We did already see an exception to this tweet and that was Chris Jones with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was able to secure a four-year $85 million deal before the deadline at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but based on this tweet from Adam Schefter, it does not appear that will be the case with the Titans and Derrick Henry. And there are a few major reasons why this is the case. First, you have to look at the history of running back performance on their second contract, especially recently. You have names like Todd Gurley, who, due to knee problems, became a major bust after his big contract in Los Angeles. Then you look at a player like David Johnson for the Cardinals, who can completely fell off in terms of production after his big contract due to injuries and poor performance. You also look at a player like Devontae Freeman, who for the Atlanta Falcons got a little bit less money than some of the names that we have been mentioning, but his performance fell off due to injury and wear and tear. and continued carries throughout multiple seasons throughout the middle of his contract and he was ultimately released by the Falcons as well and then of course you look at Le'Veon Bell who sat out a season, finally got a big time deal with the Jets and then didn't have an incredibly productive season looking a tad bit rusty from that holdout. Melvin Gordon even had a bad experience with a holdout last season based on him trying to get a contract. We see Dalvin Cook now for the Minnesota Vikings looking to hold out for a contract. Even Raheem Moster from the San Francisco 49ers asking for a trade because he doesn't feel he's getting paid what he's supposed to be. Running backs aren't performing well enough in their second contract, especially the high-end running backs that we've seen. Someone like Ezekiel Elliott, who, while having a good season last year, had a down season by his measure and didn't seem as explosive as he had in the past after he got the contract. It's nothing new either. We've seen running backs in the Titans past like Chris Johnson get a big time contract and then the production falls off. So it, It's understandable why the Titans' front office may be a little bit weary of giving Derrick Henry a big-time contract after the wear and tear he's had the last few seasons and going into the future. But also, you have to factor in the economic situation with COVID-19 and the salary cap implications that could take place in 2021. That could have made the Titans' front office even more hesitant. So you combine those multiple factors, and it looks like the decision that they have reached is to not extend Derrick Henry. Is to not get a long long-term contract done with him before the deadline. Now, going forward, the Titans' options are, of course, to let Derrick Henry be an unrestricted free agent next offseason after playing on the one-year $10.27 million deal in 2020, or they would have the option to franchise tag him again for a second season in a row at a much higher rate, but that is an option they would have based on the production and what happens with Derrick Henry in 2020. We are back with the third installment in our Ultimate Division crossover series, a little training camp preview for the AFC South. I am the host of the Locked On Titans podcast, Tyler Roland. We are here with host of the Locked On Texans podcast, John Hickman, host of the Locked On Jaguars podcast. Tony Wiggins, and we are focusing on the Indianapolis Colts today with host Evan Sidery. Evan, I just wanted to ask you straight off the jump, dive right in with the number one question, I think, at least in my mind, projecting a little, uh, that will define the Colts season, and that is does Philip Rivers have any? Thing left in your experience with him since we last talked, do you feel better about his signing, worse, or where do you kind of stand in your feelings about that right now?
1: Yeah, the more I've watched the Rivers since that signing happened right away in March and free agency, I'm more and more warming up to the idea because I think he's going to play a role similar to what happened with your quarterback Tennessee Tyler with Ryan Tannehill. Kind of have no pressure on him, kind of just be the game manager take some deep shots here and there, do some quick passes to guys like T.Y. Hilton, rookie Michael Pittman Jr., Naeem Hines, their scat back there as well. I think they have a lot of pieces in place. For Philip Rivers to really cut down his turnovers last year, of course he had 20 interceptions. That's sort of why the Chargers moved on and drafted Justin Herbert in the first round because they thought Rivers didn't have much left. But Frank Reich and Chris Bauer have been adamant this whole period that Rivers still has some juice left in his arm. They still think the arm strength is there from the last couple of years, and they think that he could really bounce back the so 2018 form when the Chargers were 13 and 3 and on the doorstep making the Super Bowl run that they did and going to Baltimore and beating Lamar Jackson as rookie year. They, they think you could really have that more and the piece in place. The offensive line with the Colts is the best in the NFL. That they are definitely helping out with Philip Rivers. They should be back to around 15 to 18 sacks that they were with Andrew Luck in 2018. Jacob set just held the ball way too long last year. That's why our second numbers were in play a little bit there. But with Rivers' his accuracy, his timing, his leadership, I just think he fits so well in this Colts. Culture in locker room that for a two year stopgap, I think he's going to be around for two years. Even though it's a one year contract, if Rivers does well this year, he'll probably get another one year deal on board with the Colts there. But I really do love the sign the more I talk about it more because I think he's such a big upgrade. You play Bursette, where Versace was probably at bottom five starting correct in the NFL last year, and Rivers is at least average or maybe even top twelve, and that's a huge difference in my book. And that kind of piece really should put the Colts back from a seven and nine team to a team that should be in the. Nine, ten, eleven, 9-10-11 win range this year because I think Rivers makes that big of a difference, especially with the relationship he had in place already with Frank right from San Diego where he had his career best year completion percentage-wise at 69.5%. So uh, maybe not gaudy stats for Philip Rivers here in 2020, Tyler, but I expect a year where it's a lot more efficient and a lot, a lot less pressure on him, especially with the running game that have in place too. Evan, oh, could, I, I,
2: go ahead, John. Okay, ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got a quick question uh, about Jonathan Taylor. Uh, what, what, what do you believe his expectations will be for the season and how will he be used in this coach's offense?
1: Yeah, obviously Scott had expectations for Taylor long-term in Indianapolis, but I think in this year in his rookie season, I expect him to be kind of the second fiddle to Marlon Mack, at least the first part of the season, because Mack is entering the last year of his contract and Taylor, of course, had a lot of tread on his tires from Wisconsin. So Frank Reck, as mentioned before, that's not a one-two punch. They call it a one-one punch. And Indy, because they think both are going to get a lot of touches this year. Taylor is obviously an explosive back. He's very built like a Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott type, where he can really break off anything at any time. And I think the expectation for him this year is going to be just give him some patience. I think the numbers might not be there at first, but I think later on in the year, I'm very bullish on Taylor, that he's probably going to take the starting spot from Marlon Mack later in the season, probably around October, November, and kind of take it from there. Because Mack, of course, he's a great back, he has great vision, but he doesn't have the exact explosiveness and burst that Taylor does. And behind this offensive line, I think Taylor could put up some really gaudy numbers like he did in Wisconsin. And with, with that combination with the offensive line and Taylor in place, I think the Colts are set up for a very long time. But I think preserving Taylor a little bit this year with Marlon Mack and having those two be a really lethal combination could really help him out and keep him healthy, but also keep Marlon Mack healthy at the same time there. So I think Taylor's got a really big year, but I think it's going to be more of a shared shared load there with Marlon Mack.
2: Now, let me make this point and then I'll, and I'll ask you a question, um, uh, Evan. I think I picked the coach sort of, you know, in, in one of my podcasts earlier to be that team that you really have to watch out for. And here's why. I don't know if Phillip Rivers is the Phillip Rivers that he was five years ago, but what I do know is I dare you to blitz him like you would another quarterback who you, want to, who you don't think can process that information quickly. Go ahead, try it. And the other thing is if you do want to blitz a quarterback that doesn't have his mobility that's losing the edge, you kind of want to get him up the middle to kind of get him off their square. Well, that's the strength. That's the strength of the Colts' offensive line is right up the middle. Now, the key is the health of the young wide receivers that they had hurt and of T.Y. Hilton, and then the fact that they continue to address that. All of those things coming into play, and like you said, the familiarity with Rivers and, and Reich, that's why I think they can win three or four games that they didn't win last year. Can Give me your assessment and thought on it.
1: Yeah, I think overall this offense has some really strong potential. With, like you mentioned, Tony, the offensive line is the best in the NFL. Quentin Nelson, I think, is already one of the best players in the NFL as a left guard, which says a lot about him overall and his talent. And also Anthony Costanza, Ryan Kelly, Brian Smith, those guys up front make up that unit. But you look at the playmakers on the outside, too. We talked about Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, that combination there. But T.Y. Hilton is going to have a bounce back year. I think he was riddled by injuries last year. And he was putting a pressure where he was double-team almost every single game because the weapons the Colts had just weren't there or they were injured. And Paris Campbell, too. A rookie last year from Ohio State. I have a lot of sky high hopes for. Still, I think that he is going to be a very good slot receiver in this offense. But injuries, just back to back to back, kept knocking him out for games. And you saw his game breaking speed, four three one speed for a six foot wide receiver. It's crazy to think about. I think he's going to be used a lot more in those drag concepts, the slant concepts, and really have a lot of yards at the catch for this Colts team, especially if there is a quarterback there. And you add in Michael Pittman Jr., I think it's one of my favorite draft targets for the Colts this year in this draft class because six foot four, big body, knows how to go up and get the deep ball, which Phil Rivers loves. Vincent Jackson type, the Malcolm Floyd type. The Mike Williams type, he fits right into that mold there. And Rivers thrives with those kind of big-body receivers. So I expect a big year from Mike Clinton Jr. as well. Zach Pascal is there for good depth. He had a good year for himself last year. as fourth wide out there. And you add in reliable Jack Doyle, who I think is one of the more underrated tight ends in the NFL there. I think he's going to have a big year as well. You add in Trey Burton, who they got from the Bears in free agency. I think he's going to be a good replace for Eric Ebron, who had a lot of drop issues throughout his career. I think this offense is so well-rounded, Tony, that there's really not many weaknesses. I can't really find a real weakness in this Colts offense, which I think says a lot about this team where last year I think the issue was a quarterback and the injuries there. So if they stay healthy and Rivers bounces back to at least maybe close to 2018 form, this should be a team that, like you mentioned, should be a 10 11 win football team. And the, the the real negatives on the board for this offense I really can't find. Do you, you know, see any negatives or weaknesses on the defense? Defense-wise, I, I do a little bit. The secondary is questionable. There are a lot of young guys. They're relying on Xavier Rhodes to really bounce back to have a good year. Jonathan Gannon, the former Vikings defensive backs coach, is now the defensive backs coach with the Colts, and he helped put Rhodes into an all-pro Pro Bowl season during his prime of his career in Minnesota. So I think Rhodes, if he bounces back to least average form, the Colts should be fine at the cornerback spot. Rocky Senn had a rough start to the year last year, but he really – started to develop more and more into a legit number one cornerback in the second half of the season after his really awful outing against the Denver Broncos where Cortland Sutton torched him over and over again. But the safeties as well, Malik Cooker, he has to stay healthy. The decline his fifth-year option, so I don't know if he'll be back after this year, but Kari Willis I think is an underrated safety in this league as well, as a rookie he did very well for himself. So a lot of youth in the back end there. I'd say that's the most questionable end there, but I think DeForest Buckner is going to make up for a lot of that because the Colts never had interior pressure like Buckner before. I think he's going to take a lot of pressure off that secondary.
0: That is going to do it for the first half of our conversation with Evan Sidery from the Locked on Colts podcast, taking a look at the Indianapolis Colts as we head into training camp. We are going to come back with the second part of our conversation next. We are back here for the second part of our conversation about the Indianapolis Colts with Evan Sidery from the Locked On Colts. Also got John Hickman from the Locked On Texans. We got Tony Wiggins from the Locked On Jaguars. I am Tyler Rowland from the Locked On Titans. And Evan, I wanted to kind of kick things off here in our second portion of the show, talking about something that you hit on a little bit there at the end, and that is Malik Hooker. His fifth-year option, as you said, was declined. A lot of the time, that that can pretty much be the unofficial end to a player's career uh, in that particular city. Also, someone you brought up earlier, Marlon Matt Do you think it's it, the writing's on the wall and both of those guys will, will no longer be in Indianapolis next season, or do you think there's a chance one or two of those guys could be brought back long-term?
1: Yeah, I think there's a chance that both can be brought back. I think, like you mentioned, the writing's on the wall there because I think they drafted their replacements in the second and third round this year. You got Jonathan Taylor at number 41 overall trade-up ahead of Jacksonville who reportedly wanted to get Jonathan Taylor on board there. And you get him to replace Merlin Mack, I think, after this year full-time. And they drafted Julian Blackman of Utah in the third round, a strong safety – or free safety, excuse me, who Chris Boward said he believes has legitimate talent in this league. So he's obviously recovering as well from a torn ACL. except from the Pac-12 title game. So he'll be on the pup to start the year – I think later on in the season, maybe November or so, he should be getting some rotations into the, the defense. But I think with Hooker and Mack, maybe Mack comes back on a cheaper deal because I don't know if the Mark will be for, there for him next year. Maybe there is, but maybe $5 million per record to the Colts bring him back because they love to run the ball so much with this offensive line. They can still keep that duo together. But they're so bullish on Jonathan Taylor that I think that Mack's going to walk. I think Malik is going to walk as well. And, and they're going to start to recoup these comp- compensatory picks, which the Colts really haven't had the chance to do so far. They have... I believe, 11 starters who are going to be free agents next year. And, that, and I don't think they're going to bring, obviously, every one of those guys back. So I think Mack, Hooker, a couple other guys as well, maybe Anthony Walker at linebacker because they have Bobby Okereke on board there. I think they're going to start recouping those comp picks for 2022, which Ballard has wanted to do, but he hasn't had a chance to do just yet because his Colts team has been so gutted before, but with the Ryan there and not having much talent at all. But Ballard's built up to the point where he can let these guys walk and start to build his team in his own image. And I think players like Mack and Hooker – are on the way out in there. I think it's good for the rest of the league, though, because I think Mack or Hook, wherever they land, are going to be legitimate starting types and really be really good at the position wherever they go.
2: Uh, Tyler, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Evan. Um, Frank Wright. Frank Wright came in, and then obviously, you know, he got the rug pulled out from under him when Andrew Luck was injured, and nobody really expected that. Uh, It just seems like when you look at the record, if that was somebody else and the situation was different, you go – Oh, he's in the hot seat, sort of like Patricia in Detroit. It's the third year now. You got to get it done. But somehow it feels like to me, because of all of the things that have happened up there, Frank Wright has really kind of outcoached every – he's coached those – he's gotten every single thing out of that team that you could possibly get because they've been so super competitive, even though they haven't won as many games as you like. Is this a year where – all of those mulligans kind of go out of the window because you do have this veteran and you're probably going to be as healthy as you've been. Will, will that grace period or, or like that mulligan, will, will that get out of jail free car kind of run out if he doesn't at least get to the playoffs?
1: Yeah. With Reich and Bauer, they're tied to the hip at least as a GM head coach standpoint. So I see, I see both being around for a long time unless really hits the fan here and they really have a horrible season back to back or something like that. But with Reich, his coaching ability, he won this locker room over in 2018 when he went for on fourth and two in overtime against the Houston Texans, and he galvanized that locker room and helped them go on a 10-1 to one run their final 11 games of the season to make that playoff run, go into Houston and beat the Texans in the wild card round, and barely lose in Kansas City in the divisional round, and Of course, Andrew Luck, he would retired. I think this could have been the year last year where the Colts might have been in in the AFC title game instead of Tennessee because Luck was in that position to really be in the prime of his career and really take on the best roster he's seen in his career so far. But with Philip Rivers on board now, like you mentioned, Tony, kind of wipes out the mulligan here where Rivers is at least an average to above-average quarterback and a really good fit in this Colts scheme where there's no excuses anymore. They built this roster up into, I believe, a top-10 roster in the NFL They should be a bona fide playoff contender. And if they get hot, maybe a bona fide Super Bowl contender – because Rivers, if he gets high, I think is very hard to stop. We saw it in week one when the Colts played in L.A. last year. I think this team with Reich and Bauer, there's no more excuses anymore. I think it's put up a show-up time. Obviously, they're going to be around for another couple of years here. But let's say a big year in 2020 where they have to prove that the team they've been building and the team that Reich has put into place, as well as Chris Bauer, is right on track here. Because the, the talent is there on paper, but you got to prove it on the field there. But I think Reich is one of the more underrated coaches in the NFL, and I think he should take advantage of this roster.
2: You know, here's my question. It's a little bit more fun. How is Jim Ursay these days? How is he the bad boy of the NFL? How How is Jim Irsay living these days?
1: Yeah, Ursay's doing well. I, I think he's really put a lot into this team as far as really giving the keys over to Chris Ballard. I think he's really been apprehensive in the past. Even Bill Pullian, where he wanted to kind of have his own say and kind of put his own own twist on things. But he trusts Chris Ballard so much, especially after the Ryan and debacle, where Ballard's been so good at his job the first few years building up this team that he's kind of taken a complete backseat here as far as being involved in operations goes. Him and Frank Reich have the full trust of Ursay. He's built an entire new facility in Annapolis there. They've rebuilt the entire West 56th Street facility they have there for the training camp. And I think overall, with, with Ursay, he wants to win Super Bowls. He mentioned before Andrew Luck retired, he wants to win multiple Super Bowls during his, the rest of his career as the owner there of the Annapolis Colts. And I think this is the best time they're going to do here is with this Rivers run. And if they can at least get in the dance, so to say, in the playoffs, that there's a chance. But Ursa himself's doing well. And I think with the way – how much trust he's putting to Chris Bauer here, I think it says a lot about how Bauer's doing for himself as the general manager of this team too.
0: I I think I, I agree with you 100%. And, and that Chris, Chris Ballard has done a fantastic job. It's one of those things where when you're in the division and you watch that guy craft a roster just in his few short years, you know it is something something you you worry about in the back of your mind because he is doing such a good job. But what, one thing that happens when you do a good job building a roster is you have some competitive spots going into training camp. So with an eye looking forward, do you think that there are any starting positions that are available for the Colts right now? Do you think the roster or the starting spots are kind of locked down? Where do you see those battles taking place once once players actually get out onto the field?
1: Yeah, I think the starting spots are pretty locked in already with how deep this roster is. But I think as far as battles go, the Mike linebacker spot, Anthony Walker's been entrenched next to Darius Leonard the last couple of years. But Bobby Okariki, they're super high on the Stanford product they drafted last year and in the third round. They, they think it's a future all-pro-approval type talent. Jim Irsay mentioned that, as well as Chris Ballard. So I expect them to take more and more snaps of Mike away from Anthony Walker this year. And I personally do think that Bobby Okariki beats Anthony Walker this year in training camp, moves him over to Sam linebacker because Walker is good at runs, but he's a really big liability in pass coverage. And Okariki and Leonard are very versatile in both situations. So I think that will be your duo there and have Walker move over to Sam, which I think opens the door for Walker to leave as a free agent this year and recoup another topic, like I mentioned in the last time there as well. I think as well, wide receiver. I know Mike Jr. is the number 34 overall pick, second-round pick this year, but Zach Paschal did very well for himself last year. So he's at least earned the chance to be – and outside, sl- outside starting receiver opposite T.Y. Hilton there. So I think there's going to be a-, a battle between Pittman and Pascal. If Pittman has a slower development curve, maybe Pascal starts right away, and then Pittman takes a spot later on in the season. But outside of that, I think it's pretty much all covered with the Colts there because the offensive line's there. They have the skill position groups in place. Marlon Mack and, and Jonathan Terry to be sharing a load there, so there's really no true starter, so to say, at that position. Defensive line, they have Justin Houston, Kamoka in the bookends. You have DeForest Buckner inside. And at at cornerback, Xavier Rhodes, Rocky Singh Kenny Moore, one of the more underrated nickel cornerbacks in the NFL, and then you have Curry Willis and Malik Hooker at safety. So it's a pretty loaded roster already, but these these camp battles would be very intriguing to watch at the most important positions.
0: But that will wrap up the third installment in our Ultimate Division crossover series here for the AFC South, taking a look at the Indianapolis Colts headed into training camp. We are going to be back tomorrow with the fourth installment talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Make sure that you subscribe to all of your AFC South Locked On podcast, the Locked On Jaguars with Tony Wiggins, Locked On Indianapolis Colts with Evan Sidery, Locked On on Texans with John Hickman and Cody Davis and locked on Titans with me, Tyler Roland. We are going to be back. Like I said, with you guys tomorrow to talk with Tony Wiggins about the Jacksonville Jaguars on this ultimate division crossover series training camp preview.